Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, friends. Welcome to Bible Truth for Living. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds, your host. We thank you for tuning in today, whether you're listening by radio or maybe to our podcast. Today's message is titled, Stand for Life. I'm reading from Psalm 100, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. One of the hot-button topics in the upcoming election cycle is and will continue to be the issue of abortion. You have the pro-life stance versus the pro-choice stance. Now, some have suggested that uh, as conservatives, we should compromise on this issue for the sake of winning elections. But I suggest that both preachers and politicians alike should stand up for and speak out for life uh, and life in the womb without compromise. You see, anytime you compromise on an issue like this, it becomes a slippery slope to just caving in on the issue. I believe the seventh commandment, thou shalt not kill, is still in place today and applies to both the unborn baby as much as the developing child or the mature adult for that matter. So today we're going to address some of the questions people often ask on this issue. Uh, My goal with this teaching is to both inform all of us and equip us as we take a stand for life in the womb. The first question that I would like to address today is when does life begin? Now, I personally believe that the abortion issue is really a creation versus evolution issue. Whether we believe man was created by God in his image or that man evolved over billions of years is the, pro- and, uh, is the product of natural selection, that uh, will greatly determine our stance on abortion. The text that I just read from Psalm 100 and verse 3 says, It is he, God, that hath made us human beings and not we ourselves. We believe the Bible teaches that we have a creator, and it is the creator uh, who is the one who created life, and that all life begins in the womb at the moment of conception. You can back that up by Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. David writes here, For thou hast possessed my reins, the word reins there means my inward parts, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now listen to his terminology here. And this is before uh, there were uh, ultrasounds and before the science even understood all of this. Here's what he says. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He is using a description here for the moment of conception. He, he refers to the lowest parts of the earth, referring to the, the womb of the mother in the secret place. He says, my, hub, my substance was not hid. He goes on to say in verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. You know, if you've ever looked at an ultrasound, you can see that not everything is all together yet, but it is beginning to form. 
And he says, God, you saw me then. And in thy book, all my members were written. You know, Jesus even said that the very hairs of our head are numbered. So there is apparently a book in heaven that God keeps track of everything about us, which means God knows us better than we know ourselves. God writes all of these things down. And then he says, which in continuance were fashioned, referring to the time, the nine months within the womb, when as yet there was none of them. And so the Bible itself tells us that life begins in the womb at the moment of conception. Question number two, is the unborn child a person? Well, in the text that I just read from Psalm 139, the personal pronouns I and my and me appear nine times. Well, that tells us then that David uh, speaks of himself here as a person within the womb. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines a human being as one having the substance, the nature, or the essence of humanity. So my question would be, if the baby in the womb is not a person, not a human being, then what in the world is it? Is it a, a vegetable? Is it a, a, a just a, a, a clump of cells? What is it? Well, I think it's a human being because the Bible says that it is. Let me give you a couple more scriptures. Psalm 22 and, uh, and verse 10 uh, tells us this. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Here's another one. Job chapter 31 and, uh, and verse 15. Job 31, 15, did not he that made me in the womb make him and did not one fashion us in the womb? Sounds to me like that's a real person. Now, the progressives in our culture have done a masterful job of uh, redefining terms. Uh, They use words that sound good to people. And I think this is a lot of why we see the problem politically. Well, for example, that term pro-choice really is pro-death. You have pro-life and pro-death. They call it a choice because it sounds more appealing. Uh, And then you have this term, it's my body. Well, according to the scripture, our body belongs to the Lord. Uh, It's funny that they don't say that same thing when it comes to wearing a mask or uh, uh, certain vaccines and those sorts of things. You know, then uh, they demand you do what you're told. But in the case of uh, uh, life and abortion, they say, well, it's my body. Here's another one. Reproductive rights reproductive health. Now that sounds good. That sounds reasonable, except it's a, it's replacing the term for abortion. And then you have calling the baby in the womb, a fetus or an embryo, you know, so abortionists won't say we're killing a baby. They will say we are terminating a fetus or an embryo. But you know, I have never heard anybody say we're going to have a fetus shower you know, a fetus shower for my fetus, or uh, we're having a fetus. You don't get excited about that. No, it's a baby. And so by redefining the terms, they have done a masterful job in uh, getting people to say, well, you know, that sounds reasonable. The uh, Everybody wants rights and, and all of these things. And uh, it's not really a baby. It's just a fetus. But redefining re, uh, the terms doesn't change the fact. You know, some will say this, well, we need to just follow the science. 
Let's follow the science on the matter. Well, let's do that when it comes to a baby in the womb. In the first month, the heart, the blood vessels, the lungs, the stomach, the liver, those organs are already developing. In month number two, the eyelids, ears, nose are forming. Arms and legs form with distinct fingers and toes. In month number three, a regular heartbeat begins and the sex organs are formed. In month number four, you are four to five inches long now, weigh three to four ounces. Your eyes are now blinking. Your heart and your blood vessels are fully formed and your fingers and toes have distinct prints at the four-month mark. In the fifth month, you are now six inches long and ten ounces. You suck your thumb. You yawn. You stretch. You make faces and move within the womb. In month number six, you weigh approximately one and a half pounds. You respond to sounds. You can hiccup. And with your inner ear developed, you begin to sense your own surroundings. By month number seven, you weigh two to three pounds and you shift positions often. In month number eight, you weigh four pounds. You have fewer wrinkles as your fat layer begins to form under your skin. And then in month number nine, you are ready to take on the world. You're approximately 18 to 20 inches long. You weigh six to eight pounds. Your brain is rapidly developing and your lungs are almost fully developed. And the amazing thing is you have managed to flip yourself upside down in preparation for your grand entrance into the world. As Psalm 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Well, number three, here's the third question. Does an unborn child have a soul? Does an unborn child have a soul? Well, to be technical, no, the unborn child does not have a soul. The unborn child is a soul. Where does the soul come from? The soul comes from God. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible tells us the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You see, the soul is not part of the anatomy like the heart and the liver and the lungs because the soul is eternal. It is the soul that differentiates human beings from plants and animals. Now, animals have certain instincts and they even seem to have feelings. You know, we all have pets, but but they don't have a soul. That soul is eternal, and that is what makes mankind distinct from any plant or animal life. Now, we see uh, an example of this in Luke chapter 1. In uh, Luke chapter 1, let me get there, please, and I'll read this to you. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, uh, the Bible tells us this, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. This is referring to John the Baptist. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Then in verse 41, it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, remember Mary came to tell her cousin Elizabeth about uh, being uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit, having baby Jesus, and John the Baptist, the babe, leaped in the womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So even within the womb there, we see the baby here, baby John the Baptist, with a soul responding to things. Question number four, does an unborn child have a purpose? Is there a purpose for that baby in the womb? Absolutely. Well, again, the example of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
God, uh, through the the angel, is telling uh, the father of John the Baptist that John will, uh, it says, and many of the children of Israel shall he, John the Baptist, turn to the Lord their God. And he, John, shall go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Beloved, before John the Baptist ever came out of his mother's womb, he had a purpose. The angel says he's going to go before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know he would proclaim and he would preach, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Before he was born, he had that purpose. Here's another great scripture we often uh, refer to. That is Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4. Jeremiah the prophet says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Now, that's interesting that before the moment of conception, God knows us. You see, God is eternal. He is sovereign and he knows all. And he says, before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. The word sanctified means I, I set you apart for a purpose. I have a purpose for you, Jeremiah. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So both John the Baptist and Jeremiah uh, were born with a purpose. Now, if that is true of them, that is true for every one of us. I believe that every un born baby in the womb is a potential scientist, doctor, preacher, missionary, evangelist. You and I have a purpose in this life. And you know what your ultimate purpose is? And I think people get confused on this because they think, well, I was born to be an athlete or born for this or that. Well, that's a purpose. But let me tell you your main purpose. Your main purpose in life and mine really is twofold. Number one, it's to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is God's purpose purpose for your life. It's not to have the biggest home, the best car, make the most money. Those are okay. But your main purpose is to accept Christ as your savior. And then number two, to follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do those two things, you have fulfilled your purpose in life. You may not make a lot of money and may not have the, the greatest things in this world, but Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? And so your purpose in mind in life is to accept Jesus as our Savior, and then follow him as long as we live. Question number five, and this is a politically charged question, is abortion ever justified? Is it ever justified? Well, I mentioned a while ago, Exodus 20 and verse 13, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not kill. Now, there is no condition for that. It's just thou shalt not kill. And I believe this is where the abortion issue is lost politically. When you, when you compromise on this, your convictions will begin to crumble. Now listen to me closely. There is no instance in the Bible where we are told that God condones the death of an unborn child. There are no justifications for it. Now, before I share these, I want you to just think about this critically. Uh, here, here's another commandment, thou shalt not steal. The Bible does not say thou shalt not steal unless you need the money or unless somebody has a lot and you have a little, so it's okay to steal. You see, that's situational ethics. Here's another commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It does not say thou shalt not commit adultery unless your wife 
uh, is uh, mean to you, or unless your husband doesn't pay enough attention. No, it just says thou shalt not commit adultery. That same thing applies to the command thou shalt not kill. Now, here are some of the justifications that uh, you will often hear regarding abortion. Is it justified to kill a baby in the womb when the mother's life is at stake? Well, I want you to consider this. Fewer than 1% of all abortions occur for this reason. Also, modern medical technology has virtually eliminated this reason because babies can now be taken by C-section earlier and earlier in, in the pregnancy and kept alive while the mother is treated. In fact, more deaths occur because of abortions that have gone wrong and mothers have actually lost their life than uh, occurs the, the other way. And so that really uh, doesn't, doesn't fly. Number two. How about in the case of rape or incest? Well, fewer than 0.5%, not just 5%, but 0.5% of abortions occur for this reason. And let me ask you this question. Does destroying the baby in the womb eradicate the tragedy of the rape or incest? Or here, here's another way to put it. Do two wrongs make a right? I don't think so. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Ethel Waters who was a very successful jazz and blues and gospel singer. She was the product of, of rape and yet did many wonderful things, and others have similar stories. There are even stories of people who survived an abortion, and what I'm telling you is that they have a purpose in life, so no, that's not, that's not a reason. Here's another one that you will hear. What about if the baby is going to have a medical abnormality? Well, first of all, only 3% of abortions are for this particular reason. But when you start doing that, when you start saying, well, the baby is going to be medically abnormal and uh, we should abort it, you are putting man in the place of God. And I can tell you this by personal testimony, that a handicapped child, because my wife and I have one that's almost 13 years old, that child is no less of a human being than a healthy child is. And in fact, they are a greater blessing than a burden. I would encourage you, if you ever get the time, to go to a children's hospital. We have spent uh, many, many hours in children's hospitals in St. Louis and in Cincinnati. Uh, and I can tell you this, that some of the most loving people are people with special needs. And that's why we, we actually have events at our church for folks with special needs and their families. Some of the sweetest, most loving people are people who are caregivers of those with, uh, with special needs, with different uh, physical and mental, what we call handicaps. And really, it's not a handicap, it's a blessing. And I'm telling you that these are not valid reasons to abort a baby in the womb. Now, question number six, what is behind the abortion issue? Well, I think two things. Number one, one thing abortion does is it attempts to remove accountability for sexual immorality. In Psalm chapter 2, and this is a wonderful psalm, the Bible says this. Give me a minute here. I'll, I'll find it. Here it is. Psalm 2 verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's a way of saying we don't want to live by God's principles of abstinence and and, uh, sexual relations only within the bonds of marriage. We want to break away from that. And so it's an attempt to break away from being accountable. But, you know, the Bible also says this in Proverbs chapter 6. Did you know that shedding innocent blood of babies is an abomination to God? The Bible says these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. We have innocent blood on our hands in America as over 60 million babies have been legally aborted, and we keep pushing these things. And again, it's a politically charged issue in our world today. You know, the top two reasons that are given for having an abortion are these. Number one, uh, the the uh, birth mother uh, will say, well, I can't afford a baby right now, or I'm not ready to have a baby now. Now, it is wrong to shed innocent blood because of poor choices uh, by a birth mother and birth father. And so that's the that's the the first thing behind it. The second thing behind the abortion issue, I believe, is it is Satan's desire to destroy God's greatest creation. Did you know as a human being, you are God's greatest creation and Satan wants to destroy the greatest creation of God. Jesus just flat out calls him a murderer in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He says to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer, referring to the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And then later on in John 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, the thief, the devil cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The devil is all about death. Jesus is all about life. And he says, choose life. I believe the devil today is working overtime because he knows his time is short. And he's doing that uh, through this issue of abortion. Question number seven. I have two more I'm going to cover real quick. What happens to aborted babies? What happens to them? Well, I believe that according to the scripture, they are safe with Jesus. I believe that heaven is filled and will be filled with those little babies that have been murdered in the womb and those mentally handicapped people who were not able to comprehend their sin nature and seek repentance and forgiveness. I believe they are safe with Jesus and they are in heaven. You know, David, whenever his baby uh, died, he makes a comment in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23 that I believe alludes to this. He says, but now he, the baby is dead. Wherefore, or why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David is saying, I can't bring the baby back to me. He, he died, but 
there's a day coming when I'm going to him. And I believe those that, you know, you think of little babies too that have uh, been miscarried and uh, they never made it to full term. What happened to them? Well, that's a precious life. And I believe they are in heaven and they are safe with Jesus because of his goodness and his grace. Here's the last question. What can we as Christians do? I, I've, I've hit this issue pretty hard today, but I think it's something we need to be aware of and we need to be prepared for, not only politically, but spiritually, morally, biblically. I think there are five things we as Christians can do. Number one, we can support adoption. You know, there are 36 couples waiting for every one baby who is adopted. You know, support adoption. If you if you can adopt, I encourage you to do that or at least support agencies that, that do that. I was glad to hear the uh, Michigan football coach, Jim Harbaugh, you know, they recently won the national championship. He attended the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And Jim Harbaugh, 60 years old, told his players on his team, he said, if you ever find yourself unexpectedly a, a father, don't have that baby aborted. You go through with it. And he said, my wife and I will adopt that baby and raise it. That's a guy who stands for what he says. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. I like that. Number two. Two, we should pray for, we should preach and proclaim the sanctity of all human life. All life is precious to God from the womb to the tomb. I believe that life is precious. We need to preach it. uh, Preachers need to be unafraid and just say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. We need to pray about it. We need to proclaim it. Number three, I would encourage you to support candidates who stand uncompromising for life. Too many people are for a political party or the personality of the politician. Listen, that's not the way to do it. Some then also say, well, I'm just not going to vote, period. Well, people have gone to war, lost their life to give you and I the freedom to vote. So, yes, we should vote. By the way, when you vote, and I don't care if this is a local election or if it's for president, you're not going to find the perfect candidate, all right? It's like trying to find the perfect pastor or perfect church. Only one is perfect, and that's Jesus. We're not voting in a, a preacher, an evangelist. We need to look for those candidates that as close as they can come to the Word of God, what our choices are. Are, and then support those candidates um, uncompromising if they stand for life. And uh, so I think that's a wise thing for a Christian to do. Number four, support and minister with godly compassion to the unwed mother and those who have even had an abortion. Now listen, uh, we need to to pray for unwed mothers and to support them and do the best we can. And let's say that a, a mother has had an abortion. What should we do there? I think we need to remind them that God offers grace and mercy and forgiveness to all who ask. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. And so we don't condemn them. We want to show compassion and tell them about the grace and the forgiveness of God. And then lastly, number five, I believe we should support ministries that minister to unwed mothers by providing resources and they assist with adoptions and many things. I know a couple of great ministries. In fact, we had a representative, uh, Paula Joy, with us uh, last week at both of our churches, and she did such a wonderful job. She uh, works with the Baptist Children's Home locally and Angels Cove Ministry and Grace Haven. And thank God for those ministries that are that are standing in the gap. They're not just talking. They're saying, here's what we can do. And I encourage you, go alongside of those ministries and support them. Beloved, let's do more than just see the need. Let's do our part to meet the need in this area, and I think God will bless us. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. It's always a joy to be with you, and 
uh, I would encourage you again to tune in to our, our podcast. Uh, you can listen to all of our messages online at your favorite podcast source. Look for Bible Truth for Living with Pastor Tim Reynolds or Bible Truth Podcast, and you'll find us there. And I also want to thank those who listen pray for and support us financially, helping us to stay on the air and to be able to provide a podcast ministry. Thank you so much for that. I look forward to being with you again next Sunday. And until that time, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.